Hello, and welcome to another episode of Tampa Bay Politics. Okay, we're putting the sign up in the studio so you can see that this is our home, also called In Touch News, the home of uh, In Touch Newspapers. And uh, our fearless leader is Daryl Johnson. And I am your host, Angela Birdsong. During the day, what I do is I help people with Medicare and sometimes Medicaid, affectionately known as the Medicare lady. But in my spare time, I like to let everybody know what's going on in the Tampa Bay area when it comes to politics and some movers and shakers. And today, we are so happy to have Mr. Lee Roy Moore from the Tampa Housing Authority. Thank you for coming by. Good morning, Angela. Good morning, Tampa. Okay, this is going to be another very, very important and interesting conversation. I hope if you see this tape on uh, Facebook, you'll be sharing it with um, people you know and love because what's going on in housing in the Tampa Bay area is so important to so many people. So, first of all, you know, we always start from the beginning. Where were you born? Born and raised Memphis, Tennessee. Memphis. Some good music come out of there. Yes. Good music, good barbecue. <laughs> All right. So where'd you go to school over there? Yeah, I was born in South Memphis, Tennessee. And uh, for people who know South Memphis, a uh, very culture-rich community. Uh, went to a great school in South Memphis. Moved to Whitehaven, of all places, when I was 13. Graduated from Fairly High School, Fairly Bulldogs. And went on there to our HBCU, Lamorne on College. Uh, for my first oh, year. Oh, you went to an HBCU? For my first year. Okay. For my first year. And then transferred to, at that time, Memphis State University, now known as University of Memphis. And that's where I completed my my undergrad studies. What did you study? Uh, um, architectural Engineering Technology. It was an engineering technology degree, oh, four-year degree, Bachelor of Science, with a concentration in architecture. Okay. So then what was your first position after that? Yeah, my first professional position was at the Memphis Housing Authority, believe it or really? not. Really? Yes, indeed. As, as an engineer? Uh, as a specifications writer. So that was my first uh, professional position, writing technical specs for contracts and bids that we would put out for oh, housing renovations. Oh, I see. Okay. And how long did you do that for? Yeah, I was at Memphis for five years. After my first year, I was promoted to coordinator of technical services, so I was able to run the department uh, that was responsible for rehabbing the public housing in Memphis. Um, and then I got uh, drafted to uh, run the program in Peoria, Illinois, home of Richard Pryor. Really? Uh, yeah, I went to uh, Illinois for uh, three years. Uh, got a lot of experience there. Okay. And I uh, enjoyed my time there. We did some uh, some pretty unique stuff uh, still to this day and um, was able to design and build the Housing Authority's administrative office building on Rage, on a street uh, that eventually became known as Richard Pryor Boulevard. Okay. They love him there, yes, I'm sure. Yes. <laughs> now, after you left uh, Pierre, Illinois, where'd you go? Yeah, I got an opportunity to go on the West Coast. So I always wanted to, you know, being a Southern boy, okay. born and raised in Memphis, always wanted to work up north and always wanted to work on the West Coast and okay. always wanted to work in our nation's capital. So uh, the opportunities just kept presenting themselves. Um, 
So what city did you end up in then? Yeah, got uh, a call from Oakland, California about an open position there and uh, got the job as Director of Modernization and Architectural Services for the Oakland Housing Authority. Moved to Oakland from Peoria, and I was there for almost four years, and there was nothing that could have possibly gotten me out of Oakland. Absolutely love that city. Well, well, tell me this. Did you have a family along the way? No, no. This was just single So you single were all Leroy. single. Okay. All right. This was single bachelor Leroy. Okay. So I had the ability to just uproot and move as the uh, the wind blows. Okay. And that was, uh, it was a great move for me. I uh, did a lot of growth in Oakland, California. Um, we did a lot of great works in Oakland. That was when the Hope Six program first premiered in U.S. Department of Housing and Urban Development. We were one of the first Hope Six awardees, uh, doing some major teardown and build back of public housing communities there. And um, there was just nothing uh, that you know I was looking for, uh, other than just staying in Oakland uh, until I got a call about the opportunity to work in Washington D.C. Wow. As okay. part of a HUD order. Chocolate City, USA. Yes, yes, yes. Our <laughs> nation's capital. And uh, that was uh, during the last year of uh, Mayor Barry's administration. Okay. What a and, character. But the people loved him. And Mayor Barrett, there's a relation to Memphis as well, by the way. Oh, really? Is uh, he from originally Memphis? from Memphis. Oh. And his mother, at the time I was at Memphis Housing Authority, actually lived in one of our properties. At Memphis, in she Memphis was housing in authority. living in a housing authority property, and yes. her son was the mayor of Washington D.C. Yes, I mean she was on fixed <laughs> income, but this was a really nice property. It was okay. one of our high-rise elderly buildings, All and right. uh, there was there was absolutely nothing. It must nothing. have been nice because I'm sure her son could have done better. Yes, you know, her, his son. Her, well, if she wanted better, but if she wanted she better, lived, so that is a great testament a really to nice the property area of Memphis and okay. really nice housing. Okay, uh, but it was, um, you know, it was subsidized housing. That's what we want to hear. You know, just because you know you're low income, you should still live well. Absolutely, and Richard. Um, um, uh, Elvis Presley lived in Memphis public housing. People don't realize that, but that's where you know, he started. Absolutely, he okay. and his family started in public housing in Memphis. So there's absolutely nothing shameful for that. That's an opportunity for people to get to settled rise up. and rise up and move out yes. and do better. Absolutely, we want all of our children to do well, no matter what zip code. For sure, because you don't know who you've given birth to, right? Right. right. <laughs> that's right. Okay, so how long did you stay in Washington D.C.? So Washington, D.C. for the three years of the receivership. Uh, so I actually arrived there. That, that was my opportunity to start my own company. So I started my oh, own okay. consulting company, left Oakland, went to Washington, D.C. Um, as part of the advanced team for what would be the court-ordered receivership of the D.C. Housing Authority. It was considered the the uh, the uh, poorest performing housing authority in the nation at the time, and the oh, federal courts, yes, okay. the federal courts was literally taking over the agency and putting it under court order receivership. So I was part of the advanced team. Uh, they eventually, uh, about six months after I arrived there, announced the actual receiver, who was a friend of mine from the West Coast, who used to run the San Francisco Housing Authority. He oh, eventually had okay. gone on to Seattle. Well, I'm sure all you all know, know each other. Yeah, so we were yes. able to reunite there in Washington, D.C., and did some great stuff as uh, part of the uh, team to write the Housing Authority. And um, So how would you say it is now? Uh, the Housing Authority has gone through a lot of changes then. Now, since then, that was in 
That was in the mid-1990s. Okay. Yes. You're talking a while back. That was quite a while ago. Okay. So I arrived in D.C., I want to say in 1992, 93, and I left in 95. Okay. Yes. So my contract ended. I moved uh, my business to Chicago and uh, because I was doing a lot of national contracts and national training. Uh, and Chicago was a great place to be. Always uh, loved the city. And um, what was the state of uh, housing and when you arrived in Chicago? The Chicago Housing Authority has always been troubled, but okay. it's a incredible undertaking. Um, they have, I think, it's forty thousand units. Oh wow! Uh, historically, the federal government has never funded public housing to the level necessary to uh, maintain the units. So uh, housing authorities like Chicago and L.A. have always struggled with, um, you know, maintaining. With the amount of services they have to put out with the limited amount of dollars. Yes, yes. But I got a chance to do a couple of contracts for the Chicago Housing Authority, Atlanta Housing Authority. um, Now, what do you mean by contracts? Uh, I I had my own professional consulting company, so I would go in and actually – um, you know, create a plan or manage a project or train staff or put together a development team for the agency to undertake some major activities. Okay. So to help them get through some of these difficulties they were having with services. Yes. Help them deploy a lot of their resources, deploy and get spent a lot of the federal funding and get some of their projects on started. Started. Okay. So now we're in Chicago. And then where'd you go from there? Yes. Well, Chicago led me eventually to Atlanta. Oh, I had we still a long... didn't get to Tampa yet. Not okay, yet, Atlanta, hot Atlanta. Where all, you went where all the black people are. That's okay. right. <laughs> love, love my time in Chicago. Beautiful city. I would move back That's if, Oprah's if, town. if I didn't find okay. Tampa. <laughs> so, um, so from Chicago, I moved to, moved to Atlanta. Once again, still running my own professional consulting business. I had a long-term contract with the Atlanta Housing Authority. So I wanted to be on site there, uh, but I was still uh, traveling quite a bit uh, to other regions. Because you had other clients. Is that it? Okay. One of which became the Tampa Housing Authority. I see. Okay. So you're in the South part of the country now? Yes. Yeah. That was my return to the South. And it had changed a lot. (laughs) Okay. Okay. Uh, So I moved back to to Atlanta or moved to Atlanta for the first time. And uh, other than the work in Atlanta, I didn't really forge a lot of uh, personal satisfaction in Atlanta. Loved Chicago. Loved Oakland. Um, and had the opportunity to come to Tampa. Jerome Ryans called me. He had just gotten the assignment here. He needed uh, someone to help him um, organize the agency and start hiring people. So I came here for a six-month contract and ended up uh, closing down my business and and, uh, taking the uh, permanent job here as uh, director of modernization. um, So you found home in Tampa, Florida. In now, um, how long ago was that? Uh, I started here as an employee in 1998. Okay, it's been a while. Yeah. Now, one important thing I probably missed out on, Memphis Housing Authority, um, at the time I got my very first job in the industry at Memphis Housing Authority, Jerome Ryans was the, the president and CEO there Okay. at the Memphis Housing Authority. I didn't get hired by him, didn't know him at the time, but he subsequently left. I left, 
and you know this was sort of like an opportunity to reconnect. So all right, um, so Jerome was at the house, Tampa Housing Authority. Yes, and he hired you. Yes. Wow, yes. interesting. I told yes. you all know each other. So this is my second time working <laughs> with Jerome Ryan's at my very first job professionally, uh, and you know the uh, job that I've held for the longest. Uh, been here now in Tampa since 1998. Wow! Celebrating 22 years, 23 years uh, this year. Okay, congratulations yeah. to you. Thank you, thank you. Now you started off. What was your first position? Uh, Director of modernization here. All right, and, and then we reorganized and and combined a few of the departments, and we created a more co- of a corporate structure. So our executive director became the president and CEO. Our my position became the chief the chief development officer. Development construction maintenance services was under me. Okay. And then we had a chief operating officer that um, oversaw all the operating departments, the programs, the services, as well as finance and accounting. And then after about two years, we merged the COO and the CDO position into my current position as Chief Operating Officer, Senior Vice President. Okay, so that is your position right now. Yes, and that was about 12 years ago now. So I've been in that role for about 10, 12 years. Okay, and a lot has been happening since then. Now, um, if anyone has any questions, concerns about the housing in Tampa, would you like them to call you? Absolutely. Love to hear from you. What's your number? Um, the number that they can reach me? Yes. 813, and this is my cell number. Wow. And a lot of people use that, so feel free to use it. That's always the best way to reach me, and it also allows me to text you if I can't answer. But 813-267-7726. 813-267-7726. Leroy Moore. Wow. Okay. And no, an email, too. Would you like emails? Yes. Le- email would be Leroy.Moore. That's L-E-R-O-Y dot M-O-O-R-E at T-H-A-F-L dot com. Say that one more time. L-E-R-O-Y dot M-O-O-R-E at T-H-A-F-L dot com. Well, that's important because you have one of the issues that people are most concerned about right now. Because we got COVID going on, and even before COVID, we had a lot of issues with housing. Right, affordable housing in particular. And uh, affordable housing has always been a scarce commodity, and it's made worse, you know, during recessions. It's made worse, certainly, during the pandemic. So when we come back, we got some issues to talk about. Look forward to it. I'm Angela Birdsong, your host every week um, on Tampa Bay Politics, and I have the pleasure of talking about housing with Leroy Moore from the Tampa Housing Authority. So, Mr. Leroy Moore, 
What are we going to do about housing, affordable housing in Tampa? Well, we got to keep at it. We've got to keep doing all we are doing, and we've got to um, get out there and vote more. Get out there. Oh, and really? Who do you think they should more? vote for? I can't tell you who to <laughs> vote for, and I never do. And, all right. Um, I can you know, tell and you. And I stay out of the politics about all, right. all means. I stay out of the politics. That's a bad, bad place to be because we have to work with Republican administrations. We have to work with Democratic administrations. That is and true. Once you, once you, in your profession, choose sides, you will you will see a lot of dry years, and you will see a lot of of abundant years and we like to keep you know our services flowing as undisrupt as disrupted as possible and we do well, that let me ask you by one question though um we on the uh, board of county commission um how are you working with them is, uh, is that working out for you yeah we work with the city of tampa we work with hillsborough county blcc sit you know city council incredibly well we always have for 23 years I can say we've always had a great relationship with both bodies, both elected bodies, um, and we always try to be responsive. And we always advocate for the funding we need, the programs we need, the regulatory support we need. Um, I will bring up in, in particular for the BOCC just Which last week. the Board week, of County Commission. The Board of County Commission is just last week adopted a uh, a countywide law, which was uh, just incredible to see it get the kind of support it got, which I believe it passed five to one. Okay. Um, and it's, it effectively is known as generally the Tenants Bill of Rights. Okay. Many other jurisdictions around the city, around the county, around the state, around the country have tried to adopt a Tenants Bill of Rights. And by the time it gets to the final vote, it usually gets diluted. Mm. And when I say diluted, I'm talking about the the income source protection language in a tenant bill of right, which prevents landlords from discriminating against individuals because of their form of income. That's usually the thing that's extracted from the bill before it's passed because of the advocacy from Bay Area Apartment Association Tampa Bay Realtors and others. Okay, we're just going to get real with this conversation. There are landlords who do want do not want to take people who are on Section Eight. Absolutely, that's a problem. And and by by law, they have always been able to say just that we don't accept Section Eight. Okay. And this tenants' bill of rights that was passed, which includes income protection restrictions prohibits landlords from discriminating against individuals because of their form of income. Thank you, Mariella Smith, Commissioner Mariella Smith, because she was doggedly in support of that um, legislation. Yes, Commissioner Smith, as well as others, met with us early and frequent uh, to get our input on it. And um, and, and we, 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 we give her our honest opinion. The idea that you discriminate against individuals because of Section 8, but you don't discriminate against individuals because they've got a rich uncle. You know, if an individual needs help to pay that rent and they've got a rich uncle versus a Section 8 subsidy, what's the difference? You should not be able to discriminate on the grounds of the source of income. And in Hillsborough County now, uh, which includes the city of Tampa. Okay. You can no longer 
Uh, so I, I'm sure the enforcement is going to be the next hurdle, but it's now the law of the land, and it needs to it needs to be enforced. Well, I'm going to say that uh, there are some Section 8 tenants who have given Section 8 a bad name. And I think that every family should stand on their own merits. Angela, but there are trust fund babies who've given, <laughs> you know, uh, people bad names as well. So um, Anybody can trash the apartment. That's right. That's absolutely right. <laughs> All right. Well, if someone suspects that the landlord um, doesn't want to take them because they're Section 8, what can they, what's their recourse? Uh, honestly, I don't know just yet because okay. this is a new law. Of the county. I don't know when the enforcement goes into place. I don't know what, um, you know. Okay, but it's a step in the right direction. Absolutely. Especially during a global pandemic. Absolutely. Because we need people housed. Right. And we don't need any foolishness about we can't get the, uh, get them a roof over their head. Absolutely. Now, I don't know if you want to talk about this, but the dreaded word is gentrification. Yes. Especially in our black communities. People are irate over this. Yeah, and... No, we need to talk about it. I okay. wish we talked about it more. All I right. wish there was more public forums and discussion over gentrification and its impact and how to avoid the worst side effects of gentrification. Gentrification itself is the natural uh, change in a community. There are negative aspects of gentrification that needs to be avoided. And essentially, that is replacing a population, ethnic population or low-income population, in order to move in a, you know, different ethnic, you know, population. Higher income. Or higher income population. Mm -hmm. That's the, that's the, the bad parts of gentrification that needs to be arrested, needs to be prevented. And the best way to prevent it, frankly... Is for the individuals who own it not to sell it, but to figure out other ways of maintaining control, maintaining owner interest, and you know maintaining your your your, your home. You know that's a very interesting uh, thing you're bringing up because a lot of times the grandparents buy the property, then you have the children come along. They live in the property. By the time you get to the grandchildren, they will take the highest offer. Yes. Yeah. And, and you, you don't want to, you don't, you know, in one hand, I, you know, I guess some individuals look at it as their opportunity to build, um, to build wealth. But if they look at it long term, you build wealth through owning, maintaining control and benefiting through the long term appreciation of it, not selling for today's big dollar. Mm -hmm. Because you can have that big dollar over the next few years and your, your generations after you and after them can continue to benefit from it. You know what we might have to do is start going into the communities and, give, and educating them on uh, keeping your community intact. Yeah, well, we need more people doing that, I think. I mean, we certainly at the Housing Authority have always done that. Okay. Uh, for years ahead of a major redevelopment in our communities, in the surrounding communities, we have meetings. We'll attend everybody's committee or, or organization or association meetings that, that, that want us there. Okay. And we let people know what's about to happen. 
uh, in that community and what that's going to do to the surrounding community Mm -hmm. in terms of building the appeal for it. And if you own land, keep it. Maintain your ownership. If you want to sell and you get to that point of wanting to sell, come to us first. So if we're able to acquire it, at least we can own it and preserve it for affordable housing, which is oh, our mission. Oh, that's a very interesting concept. Right. But but the main thing is to own it. If you own the barbershop, you know, down the road, don't sell it so that you can move into Brandon or another part of the community. Um, stay in that, invested in that community. Even if you end up doing ground leases for it, you retain long-term ownership of it, and you get the appreciation that that property is going to go through instead of someone else. Yeah, this is education that the, the communities need because we have um, the West Shore area. Yes. Um, West that, Tampa. West Tampa. West Tampa. We have Seminole Heights is going through this, and uh, those these people are getting door knocks, Phone calls from realtors daily. It's almost harassment. <laughs> yes. No, and and it's in every community. Trust me. Okay. Um, you know, but but West Tampa in particular, I think, has been the focus over the last five years. But eight years ago, we were in a community talking about what we're getting ready to do. We were urging people: if you don't own land, buy it. If you're renting now, try to buy it. If you own it, continue to own it. (laughs) Um, But realize that what we're going to do in the 44 acres that the Tampa Housing Authority owns is, you know, we don't worry about the 44 acres that we own because we're going to continue to own it. We're going to bring back more units than what's ever existed there. And we're going to bring back other services in that community that we will own as well. But the person who lives across the street the business owner that you know owns a property down the street realize that your property is going to be made far more valuable by the investment we're getting ready to put along main street okay um let's talk about some of the properties that you have invested in um what's going on in on main street well main street is transforming uh the housing authority owns 44 acres uh, formerly north boulevard homes tampa's very first public housing community and uh, we tore down 670 units. So remember these numbers, please. Okay. We tore down 670 units. We just completed the demolition of those 670 units two years ago. So here we are two years later. We already have 310 new units back online and occupied. Okay, new wonderful. units that we own. We have another 500 units under construction as I speak, that will come online later this so now year we're up to three more buildings. <laughs> and we have three more buildings funded, one more that will start construction this month. Okay. All total, as of today, two years after the demolition completed, we have 1,011 units that we will own that's either completed, under construction, or about to start, already funded. And we're not done yet. In okay. addition to that, we're under contract with Florida's grocer of choice to build a grocery store on part of our land. What grocer would that be? I can't mention the name. Okay. All right. (laughs) Um, But we're also under contract with two other parties. I'm just excited that people can buy groceries. (laughs) Yes. In the neighborhood. In the neighborhood. (laughs) And once again, the reason we bring grocers to the neighborhood, the reason we bring ownership opportunities to the neighborhood, the reason we bring restaurants and other retail venues 
into the neighborhood is because it reduces your need to get in a car and drive five miles or, or more for those basic everyday services. And when you reduce a person's transportation costs, you're really not now starting to impact affordable, affordable living. All right. So when we come back, we're going to talk about some other projects that you have besides Main Street and uh, maybe what you're doing for the future. Yes. All right. We'll be right back. Others with existing health issues, cancer patients are at a high risk due to their compromised condition. If you are newly diagnosed with cancer, your care likely can't wait. Moffitt Cancer Center is the best place for your cancer concerns and to provide guidance to help you plan your next steps. We're here for you. Call 1-888-456-2839 or go to moffitt.org slash here for you. with Mr. Leroy Moore from the Tampa Housing Authority. And we were talking about Main Street, um, which I did not realize was the first set of uh, affordable housing um, in Tampa. And so it's looking good, huh? Yes. uh, North Boulevard Homes was, I want to say, almost 80 years old. I've been in some of those units. They looked at... No air conditioning. Wow. um, Environmental contaminants. um, You know, poor... You know, parking and ventilation and, you know, barrack style, you know, yes, institutional not attractive at looking all housing. Yeah. All right. So now you're up to 1,100 units. Yeah. And we, we've got more units to uh, fund and start at the uh, former North Boulevard home site is now known as West River. Okay. So just on the 44 acres that used to contain North Boulevard homes, at full build-out, we will have over 2,200 units occupying that exact same land. whole lot better than 600. Yes. Plus a new grocery store, restaurants, and other retail venues, office buildings, possibly a hotel. Wow. You know, so it's a a mini-city. Okay. And it's walking distance to downtown, the yes. second largest job market. It's walking distance to four schools. Wonderful. We've got four public schools within walking distance. We've got a university within walking distance, UT. True, the University of Tampa. And you've got the Riverwalk and all the amenities and all the cultural attractions of downtown uh, within a walk, 
or a bike ride as opposed to a necessary car ride away. That's the place you can live, you can work, you can play, you can prosper, and you can do it more affordably than moving further away from all of these amenities and jobs and spending most of your money on a car to get you to the jobs or get you to the amenities and parking and maintenance yes. and gas, et cetera. People don't realize it, but some people spend 40 and even 50% of their income on transportation costs. Wow. Well, it takes about $10,000 to maintain a car. Yes, yes. When you, and when you add up everything. Absolutely. Now, tell me, when you call this, would you call this property affordable? Would you call it low income? Who can actually live there? It's mixed income. Okay. So it's mixed income. Now, the affordable new numbers are going to double from where they were. Okay. So instead of 820 units, we'll have 1,500, 1,600 affordable units. And these this affordability will actually be a deeper affordability than what was there. Public housing is eligible to people making below 80% of area median income. Okay, nobody knows what that means. I know. <laughs> uh, and just to put some numbers to it, a family of four uh, area median income is something like $56,000 a year for a family of four. Okay. So 80% of that, you know, 47000 or whatever the math comes to, you must make less than 47000 if you're a family there. of four to live in public housing in the affordable units that we're building because we're using tax credit subsidy to build back formerly public housing units, these units are affordable to people below 60% of area median income, which is an even deeper subsidy. So, so what are we talking, like 30000 Yeah, so you get to about thirty-eight or thirty-eight dollars to $40,000 for a family of four. For an individual, that number could be around twelve to 15000 Okay. Okay. Um, but in addition to that, we then layer in some additional affordable units known as workforce housing. So those Which are, is another big issue. Yes. Those are individuals that actually work service-related jobs, but they can't afford uh, home costs in the areas where they typically work. Correct. You know, you take your downtown office workers, your chefs, your musicians in Ybor City, uh, you know, your wait staff, uh, you know, people that park your cars at the hotels. I mean, you know, that service Our industry. essential workers. Essential workers who make just above 60%, but they make less than 120% of area median income. And so, so, so if someone is making minimum wage, mm -hmm. can they afford to live there? Um, unless, not unless they live in one of our units. They that's what I mean, in your units. Live. Absolutely, absolutely. Okay. That's so practically the only place you can live, live. If in you're downtown making an hour. area is in housing authority or, you know, there's, a, there's other affordable housing developers other than the housing authority. There's a number of them that have very nice units, brand new construction that's happened in and around downtown. But it's very small numbers, 100 right. units here, 100 units there. The housing authority is is the only large supplier of affordable housing in the urban core. Now, are you open to having more um, contractors come in to build housing? Oh, absolutely. We're partnering with people all the time. Okay. I mean, that's how we accomplish. That's how we've accomplished, you know, the, the success that we have is by creating these 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 partnerships with private sector 
uh, developers and contractors to help in supplying this community affordable housing. Now, what about Blue Sky? Is that one of your partners? Yes. Blue Sky is a very good quality developer. Their actual their offices are located right across the street from us. Uh, you know, we where are you? You're in West Shore. We're we're located on Cypress Street, and they're okay. located right across the street from us now. And they build very good quality tax credit housing. How many uh, units would you say they've built so far? Uh, I'm not the best person to ask, but I know of several. I know of. Um, I, I really couldn't give you a guess, but their typical developments is anywhere from 100 to 120 units in size. Okay. Right. And I know of probably four or five, maybe more within the county that they have developed. Okay. So the thing is, if someone right now needs an affordable unit, how do they go about applying for it? Well, there's a Florida Housing Search uh, dot. Org. I think the uh, website is FloridaHousingSearch.org. Uh, they can email me. Uh, I can send them a list of not only you know how to apply for our units when the wait list opens up. Okay, and so right now there is no wait list. Yeah, they there's there's wait lists, and there are there are some wait lists that are open. And without trying to get too you know in the weeds on this, the housing authorities units that are funded through Department of Housing and Urban Development have wait lists. Okay. These are federally controlled, structured wait lists. And those wait lists will get filled up. We close the wait list, and that wait list could be closed for 10 years in certain cases. And when we deplete the number of applicants on it, we open up the wait list again. Usually in one week, we will get over 10,000 people applying for our wait list when we open up a wait list. But we have wait lists for one-bedroom units, two, three, four, five-bedroom units. We have wait lists for special programs such as uh, Section 8 tenant-based vouchers. We have, if you're a veteran, we have VASH vouchers. These are Section 8 vouchers. Um, so there's a lot of different types of wait lists. There's an elderly wait list for people that are 62 and older. Um, and then there's an elderly one-bedroom and two-bedroom wait list. And all this is federally controlled and structured. So when we deplete our elderly one-bedroom wait list, we open up that wait list. And that wait list will remain open until we get a number of people that apply. We'll close the wait list again. So you have to go to our main website, click on, um, you know, find housing, and that'll take you to our wait list. If you're not already registered, you'll register. You'll go in and you'll see if you can actually uh, fill out an application online for any of our open wait lists. We have wait lists currently open for senior one and two bedroom units. We have wait lists open for what's called the mainstream voucher program, which is a program specifically for non-elderly disabled persons who also have a homeless condition. Okay. Wow, so that's it can get specific very right specific, but that's the nature of the federal funding that we receive. So we have to find that individual who's not elder, elderly, meaning they're below 62. Um, they have to have a disability that is documented, and that's not always a physical disability. It could be an emotional disability. It could be, you know, life skill development issue. Uh, and you must have a housing preference, meaning that you currently do not have, you must have a homeless preference, meaning that you currently do not have a lease in your own name. You're living with a relative or you're living, you know, unfortunately, uh, you know, in your car or in and out of um, homeless housing. 
that's a very shoehorned, specific uh, criteria, but there's vouchers available for that population, and you can actually apply during this uh, time by going to our wait list and actually uh, completing an application. So if you are a homeless family, can you get on a wait list? Uh, if you meet the conditions of the mainstream program, yes, meaning somebody has got to be have a documented disability. Otherwise, no. Otherwise, no. And all of our other wait lists are closed currently. Now, what about your other partners like Blue Sky? Do you know if they have openings? Yeah, they typically don't maintain wait lists, tax credit developers. Okay. Um, but, you know, when they bring on board a new 100-unit development, they're usually... Uh, open up applications, and, uh, you know, the first qualified 100 people or so, and they may maintain five or ten people as on notice if they have a vacancy that comes available. But they do not have federally mandated wait lists like a housing authority has. I see. Now, what can you do to get more developers to come here to Tampa? With low-income housing. Yeah, and, and Blue Sky is not the only one. I mean, there's um, you know there's a number of other developers we've worked with related uh, we're working with now. They're a huge partner in our West River uh, development. Uh, Bank of America CDC has been a huge uh, partner of ours at Uncor. Uh, we're working with a developer now in partnership on our Robles Park redevelopment, which is going to be the next um, and last traditional you know, public housing community to come down. So is that going to be totally demolished? Uh, yes, yes. Okay. And we will uh, rebuild that community. There'll be about a thousand units replacing the 400 units that are there now as part of Robles Park Village. And that's a very active planning process now. We have a architect and a developer, PM, uh, PMG, that is our um, uh, master planning team that's um, going to be delivering later this month Early next month, the final master plan for that development, you will see the housing authority starting to meet with our families, uh, dealing specifically with relocation, probably. I was just going to ask, what do you do with the families in the meantime? Yes. So now they've been very involved in the master planning process. So we've been having ongoing meetings, both on site as well as virtually, um, you know, with our residents, with the broader community, with other stakeholders. So, um, you know, that's a very participatory process. There's a great website you can go to if you have not uh, been part and been engaged in that master planning process. It's called newrobospark.com. Newrobospark.com. And so, oh, we have a question. We do. What's your role for East Tampa? Yes, uh, we, we own 850 units in East Tampa now in partnership with uh, Michael's development, another developer, and that's what used to be known as College Hill Homes, Ponce de Leon. It's now Belmont Heights, phases one, two, and three. Uh, two of those three phases is going to be undergoing some major renovations starting this year, phases one and two. Uh, we will do, be doing some major renovations that will be taking place over the next 18 months or so. Families will be relocated on site. They will not have to leave the site at all, but we will create vacancy hotel units. We will move them out for about Uh two weeks, renovate their unit, move them back into their apartment um, in those two phases. I see. All right. So, right, we really, really need some more housing developed. 
We need a lot more housing developed. I mean, we have over 20,000 people sitting on our wait list today. So that's a problem. Yes, and that's not a real indication of the number of people that need affordable housing because, remember, that is a closed wait list. So if we left our wait list open, we will have well over 100,000 people on the wait list, but it gives people a false sense of of uh, help coming when you've got that many people sitting on a wait list. That's a 30-year-long wait list, and that's just unbearable. So we try to maintain our wait list below 20,000 people because we can typically go through that number of people in about five years or more. All right. So the people on the list right now, five years at least. Some of them will be waiting five years for housing. Okay, well, we're going to come back and we got more things to talk about when it comes to housing in Tampa. Housing in Tampa. Who doesn't love being number one? When your team's dominating the standings or your favorite band rocks the charts at number one, it feels good, right? Kind of like how it feels when you have auto insurance with State Farm. Because making you feel like number one is an honor your local State Farm agent takes seriously. Through the good times and not so good, your State Farm agent's proud to be here to help life go right. Call the Herman White at 961-6661. That's 961-6661. All you sports fans, tune in every Monday morning to listen to Mike Up Mondays with Michael Clayton. You don't want to miss this. On In Touch Radio. With a very important conversation about Tampa housing. We have Mr. Leroy Moore from the Tampa Housing Authority. He's been there 22 years. Yes. And he's still signing up for more. Yes, and I'm still <laughs> celebrating. I mean, this has been a great opportunity for me. An incredible amount of uh, potential that I saw here 23 years ago. And okay. today I still use those same terms. There's a lot of potential, um, you know, in Tampa for doing more. And um, what about more, uh, more done. COVID, how's how's that affected your properties? Yes, COVID has been a major impact on us operationally as well as uh, on our on our finances, of course. Uh, operationally, uh, the Housing Authority has been closed to the general public for the most part uh, since about um, May of last year. Okay. Our employees have always worked. They continue to work. Um, for the first two months of the pandemic, uh, we were pretty much all working remotely. Okay. In June, we brought our staff back. We still have a, a portion of our staff, administrative staff, that work from home. Um, so about 40% of our workforce currently is still working from home. But most of us returned to the office late June, early July, after we made a lot of improvements to our office environment, Um to uh, create social distancing opportunities, limiting the number of people in the elevators, making sure that PPEs are applied and and available for all of our staff, testing all of our staff Uh, on our property. Same thing, getting testing uh, available to our site for our residents that that, uh, wanted to get tested. And even now, getting the vaccine on our properties has been a very major uh, focus of ours for the last two months is uh, working in partnership with the health department, working in partnership with Tampa Family Health Centers to actually um, get locations on our properties, 
that is delivering the vaccinations and getting that information to our families so that they can. And we um, love Tampa Family Health because if you do not have the money, they will still service you. Absolutely. And all of the testing and all of the vaccinations that we've been able to bring to our sites has been at absolutely no cost to our to our families who live on our properties. And you hear stories and you see even in Tampa, people literally lining up in vehicles, waiting four hours to get a test or to get a vaccination. Our families actually have the ability to literally walk out their door and walk a few steps away to a community building or come downstairs on their elevator and get their vaccination right in their own building. So it's an amazing opportunity. You know, our max wait has been probably 15 minutes for wow, people waiting to get uh, tested or to get the vaccinations over the last uh, month since we've been delivering them. Did you have any large outbreaks in the property? No, we have not documented a single outbreak on the property. We've had residents that have actually uh, come down with with the virus and have notified us, you know, in case we had to make maintenance, um, you know, services in their units that someone in the unit has COVID. Um, and we've been able to respond to emergencies. We've been able to respond to a lot of our routine uh, services because you know, our staff has remained healthy for the most part. Our communities have remained healthy for the most part, but we have not had any either work outbreak or outbreak documented on any of our properties Wonderful with the spread. We've increased security. We've increased uh, information and just, you know, notification to families about gatherings and social events and, and, you know, trying to keep down the crowd so that we can keep down the spread. Now, are you evicting people? Uh, we're not evicting people due to non-payment of rent. Uh, and we officially stopped that even before the CDC moratorium came out. Okay. And the nature of our housing is such that as our families lose their job or they have a reduction in their income, their rent is also reduced. That's the way it works. That's the way it works in our housing. That's not the way it works in tax credit housing or other affordable housing. But in the housing authorities units, because it's government subsidized, because it's either project-based Section 8, tenant-based Section 8, or public housing, or now RAD units, they all work the same way. Your rent is always 30% of your income. Okay. When your income drops, you simply notify us. We make the adjustment in your income and you will never pay any more than 30% of your income in rent. If you don't have any income, then your rent goes down to zero or minimum rent, which is $25, I believe. Oh, okay. So so our families are naturally protected because of an incident like a recession or a pandemic. Uh, But beyond that, uh, you know, it's just a matter of making sure that our families continue to comply. You know, criminal behavior won't be tolerated on in our properties. So we have continued with enforcement activities where there's criminal, um, you know, illegal borders, um, you know, um, and, and those matters, but not due to non-payment of rent. Now, if someone is arrested, goes to jail, does their time, can they live in a, in your housing? Yes, they can. Uh, there is a process. We have okay. it, ha- it has to be documented, and there are some limitations for felony arrests and how long they have been out. Um, but we give consideration to all of those. We t- 
talk to parole officers and counselors and case managers to document, you know, a path of rehabilitation or a pattern of rehabilitation before we deny an individual solely based on their arrest record. Now, what else do you have coming up that's new, new units? Yeah, certainly a lot more uh, that's coming up in West Tampa as part of our West River development. Uh, like I said, we have a thousand 11 units already funded under construction or completed there. We've got, um, you know, more units coming online there in 2022 and 2023. We'll eventually, over the next three years, get up to 2,200 units at that site. As we uh, move into uh, just two miles north of downtown is Robles Park Village. Uh, We're completing the master plan now. We will start uh, probably fourth quarter of this year relocation. Okay. Um, That would be the earliest that we will start relocation. And that could be impacted by the pandemic as well if we don't get on the other side of this fairly soon. But uh, once we can start, you know, once we can fund it and safely start a relocation process, we'll start that at Robles late this year, early next year. Uh, The relocation process at Robles will take a full year. Okay. We haven't yet decided if we're going to do phased relocation or a one-phase relocation like we have done at all of our other properties. We will make that decision in consultation with our residents as we start having the relocation meetings. Um, and then we will follow the relocation by demolition at Robles and then a build back at Robles. Right now, we're looking at a master plan that's going to call for a little over 900 replacement units to replace the 400 units that exist there now. Okay. Um, And that will be about a five to seven year build out. So about five to seven years from now, you'll see that unit, that uh, whole community transformed. I've been to Robles too. Now, what about um, Tampa Park Apartments? Is that something you're involved in? Um, we, We have been involved only because we have subsidized some of the units and we actually um, inherited a lot of the relocating families when HUD terminated the contract. But the okay. Housing Authority has never owned or maintained or managed Tampa Park. I know the owners of Tampa Park. Uh, I applaud them for the uh, the uh, kind of negotiations that they've made uh, to facilitate a redevelopment of that community, and in particular, the decision to maintain ownership of a good chunk of that land. We were talking earlier about gentrification. Yes. You know, selling out and leaving, you know, for a lot of cash. In their case, it was a incredible offer um, that they got there. They actually was able to sell a portion of that site for more than we're selling the lots for at Encore. So that was some good negotiations. Uh, and in addition to that, they only sold half of the land and they now have the rest of the property that they can redevelop on their own. I don't know what their plans are with the rest of the property, but, you know, that's an opportunity. And that's the kind of, um, you know, shrewd business deals that, you know, our communities should be negotiating now, in order to allow t- for development the, to take place. Excuse me, the people were being asked to leave. I think the relocation process could have been handled a lot better, without okay. a doubt. And, um, you know, but... Um, you know, I, I don't know all the details about the okay. relocation process. The very first round of relocation, the housing authority was involved, and this was three or four years ago. Okay. Because HUD abruptly terminated the contract on part of Tampa Park. 
Okay. And that meant that those families became our families. We were oh, able to really? put Section 8 vouchers in all their hands, okay. and we were able to assist them with re- being relocated. I see. But there's a second half of Tampa Park, um, you know, that was was not a HUD termination, but it was an owner opt-out of the program, which did not result in the federal government giving us Section 8 vouchers to put in the hands of all of those families. So those families, fortunately, the buyer, um, and I had never seen this happen before either. Okay. And again, I think this was the quality of the negotiations uh, that was taking place between the seller and the buyer, both the buyer who was, I think, conscious about, you know, the, the visual of uprooting a large minority population because they yes, want to build market rate properties, but also a seller who understands that these families need to be provided for. So they were able to negotiate some good funding, both from Hillsborough County to support the relocation, okay. as well as some funding from the buyer to help with the uh, relocation. So from what I saw in the papers uh, with the uh, second phase, um, you know, relocation, it was handled in a, you know, a shrewd manner. Although I'm sure, I'm sure there were some um, disappointments with uh, the notifications Mm -hmm. and the uh, rush in some case in getting families out of the property. Now, you know what? If someone has a property and they want to consider selling it to Tampa Housing Authority, who would they contact? Contact me. Oh, Leroy that would Moore. be you. Leroy Moore How at THFL.com. Uh, I can get the ball rolling. Um, and again, we're not looking generally for properties to acquire, but when we are redeveloping you know, our communities, we want to acquire the edges if the property owners are in a sell mode i've said from from day one you know if people live next to our property hold your property own it long term there are city programs and and services and grants forgivable grants that homeowners and property owners can apply for to improve the quality of their properties but look at other means. If you get to the point to where you are ready to sell that property, you know, at least come to the housing authority to give us an opportunity to make you an offer on it so that we can actually include it in our affordable housing uh, program. So, in other words, you're saying if you're near Encore, if you're near um, West River, West River and Robles, this man wants to talk to you about your property. Yes. <laughs> All right. Thank you so much for coming. This was an exciting and needed conversation. Oh, we're done? <laughs> Can that you believe quick. that? Okay. Yeah. You thought an hour was good. A long time It's not. Not when you're talking about something no. like this. It's important pleasure. for the people. Say your number one more time. Yes. Leroy Moore. Leroy Moore. Leroy.Moore at THAFL.com or my cell phone number is 813-267-7726. And he is willing to talk to you. Thank you for listening to another episode. See you next week.